I don't know how many of you today uh, feel like your lives are busy, maybe stressful. Maybe there's a, a, a certain restlessness to your uh, days, to your weeks. Uh, you know, you, there's this constant waking up and looking at your calendar and figuring out what you have to get done. To-do lists, right? Uh, there, you know, there used to be a day where your to-do list was on your desk and you wouldn't have access to it unless you sat down at your desk. Today, the to-do lists are on our phones and there's three notifications, five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes. And so we can never escape sort of the busyness, right, of, of everything that we do. And you know, I see some young people in here, some teenagers, and this is not only the life of adults, but even for our, our children, our young people today, right? There's school, there's stuff after school, there's stuff on the weekends, and then there's stuff that's not even related to school, and there's sports and tournaments and church, music, art, and there is just this almost restlessness uh, to our days. St. Augustine has this great quote, one of our early church fathers in his book, the Confession, in, in his book Confessions, he says, you know, it's a little bit of an old style language, but he says this, Lord, thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. So today, in the time allotted to me, I'm going to attempt to go through Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. And at first reading and at first glance, it may seem a little bit jumpy or it may seem that uh, it's a little hard to understand. But uh, there's two parts to this, I think, that we want to look at God's rest, the rest that he promises to us, what that is, what that means, what that involves. And then secondly, we want to look at entering into that rest, all right, striving for that rest, what it means to live our lives as children who have received the promise of that rest, uh, knowing uh, that that's where we're going to be for all of eternity, all right? Now, what is the rest that the author of Hebrews talks about? When we throw out the word rest, everyone has their personal idea of what rest is. For me, rest is a... Uh, Great cup of coffee in the morning with a newspaper. I don't even have to read the newspaper, but it has to be there, right? Just sitting. It's part of the, the ambiance of my rest. And hopefully I'm somewhere near the ocean or something like that, hearing the waves or seeing the water or seeing the palm trees or what have you. Luckily, Southern California, it's not that far to do this. Uh, to enjoy this kind of rest. And for some of us, rest is sleep. Rest is sports. Rest is golf. Rest is TV. Rest is, I don't know, whatever. Fill in the blank. And so when we think of the rest that God talks about, we may have all kinds of ideas. And maybe we think that God is talking about some kind of spiritual version of whatever it is we think rest is. Maybe there's some kind of cup of coffee for the soul, cup of coffee for our spiritual lives or sleep that we can enter into that will refresh us and renew us, and that's the rest of God. I do think God provides us with those things, times of refreshment and times of joy 
In times of peace, of course, that is something we enjoy today. But specifically in Hebrews chapter 4, I don't think this is what he's talking about because right away in verses 1 and 2, all right, we, can get, we, we get some hints about this rest. First of all, we see right away in verse 1 that this rest is based upon the promise of God. Right? It is his promise. And that's how we receive this rest. It's how we enter into this rest. It's not something we search for and find on our own. It's not like searching for the fountain of youth or something like that. It's not a great journey, something we have to figure out or learn how to do. This is based upon God's promise, and he gives it to us. We receive his rest. And this promise is, is a promise that is still open today. So this is not an RSVP you receive in your, your email box that has a, 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 a date by, you know, like RSVP by uh, 1999, all right, to, to come into this rest. It's open now. The author says, while, his, this, while this promise still stands, we know from verse 1 that some fail to reach this rest that not everyone will receive it or enter into it, all right? And then when you look at verse 2, what we see very clearly, all right, this promise of rest is maybe synonymous with the good news, the gospel. So this is great news. There's a, uh, this promise is fantastic. It's something we should go out and tell others about. It moves us, it stirs us. And secondly, from verse 2, we see, though, that it's not just about hearing this message of good news. It's not just about listening to this message of good news or this promise. It's about what? Having faith, trusting it, being united by it to others who also trust it and live their lives according to it. Okay? So after all of those hints in the first two verses, I think it's safe to say it's probably not just some kind of state of peace or something that our soul kind of, you know, enjoys for a day or two. We are talking about something that is, well, what? What do you think? What, 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 is, what is he probably talking about here after just seeing verses 1 and 2? Right? Salvation. Eternal life. Good news of the gospel and the life that we have and the rest we have in Christ. Well, maybe there's more in this passage about it. What we see very clearly is quotes from the Old Testament as uh, the author of Hebrews talks more about rest. Uh, if, if you look, and I'm going to jump around just a little bit, out of order. I'm not going to just go all the way in order of the verses. But if you look at verse 4, he says, For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. All right. To me, I'm kind of immature. That, 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 I don't know why that verse cracks me up. Somewhere in the Bible, right? We know where it is. It's Genesis 2-2. And I'm pretty sure the author of Hebrews knew where it was. But it's his literary style, maybe. But somewhere, all right, there's this verse that teaches us. God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So we know there were six days of creation. Whatever you believe those days mean, there was this period of time where he was creating, and then on the seventh day, there's this period of time where he's resting. But what does resting mean? For us, resting means laying down, cessation of activity, recovering, being tired, letting our muscles heal, etc. 
But for God, does he need that kind of rest? Was he so tired after creating the heavens and the earth, after creating man, after creating the creatures of the heavens and the earth and the seas, the stars, the lights? Was he so exhausted, he said, I need to lay down. Don't bother me. I need a time of recovery. If you look at Isaiah 40, 28, I think this tells us something that's really clear, right? He's not like us. He's not a a human like us. He doesn't grow weary, right? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. Doesn't happen to him. He could work every single second of eternity. And he won't grow faint. He won't grow weary. That's not God. So then what does it mean when he rested? Well, Nehemiah 9.6, I think, gives us great insight into this. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that's on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. You What? Preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. Those two words, preserve and worship, I think describes the rest of the creator king. On the seventh day when God rested, it's not that he stopped doing whatever he was doing. Well, in a way, he stopped creating things, but he didn't stop all activity. He has to preserve what he just created. He has to rule over it. He has to watch over it. He has to care for it. He has to nurture it. He has to preserve it. Come on. We all know if we leave something all alone, what happens to it? Even something that is inanimate and has no life. For example, your car, if you leave it alone, you never touch it. You never drive it. You never look at it. It just sits in your driveway for 10, 20, 40, 50, 80 years. What happens to it? It falls into disrepair and ruin. And so would all of creation if God would not govern and rule over and care for and nurture his creation. But there's this second very important part. All the heavens, everything, the hosts of heavens, and all of his creation, what do they do? They were created to worship him. This is a key aspect of God's rest He takes his place on the throne and he receives the worship that he deserves, that is due to him, that he is worthy of. There is no other being who is worthy of this. That's why none of us can walk around and and desire worship. We can't tell the stars in the heavens to worship us. We are part of creation as well. And so when we see this uh, passage in Hebrews, now jumping back to what we read today, we see that the author of Hebrews is going to draw heavily from Genesis 2.2. Now right away in verse 3 he says this, For we who have believed entered that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. All right, so now we're going back, all right? Going back to, to the Old Testament. And we know very clearly that The passage he's quoting is referring to the Israelites, right? The Israelites who wandered in the wilderness, who received, uh, were were brought out of uh, slavery in Egypt, but they could not enter into the promised land. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 12 with me. 
verses 8 to 10. All right? And we're going to hear the language of rest a lot. You shall not do according to all that we are doing here today, everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes. For you have not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God is giving you. But when you go over the Jordan and live in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and when he gives you rest from all your enemies around, so that you live in safety. So this was the rest of God that was promised to his people. And for the Israelites and the Old Testament people of God, you know what, when they heard the term rest, that was really powerful. They didn't have a home. They were wanderers, sojourners. They didn't have a place that they could say, you know what, this is our home. This is where we're safe. This is where our children are safe. They were constantly wandering, and the thoughts that they had at night and the anxieties and the worries that they had is, you know what, we are enslaved. We don't have a place we can call home. I don't know, will my child be safe? Will his children be safe? Will her children be safe? What will happen to our family? What will happen to our people? They were... But they had this promise. And it's almost like Google Maps. You can go across the Jordan, and there would be this promised land, and it was a land described as as flowing with milk and honey, this would be where they're safe. Isn't that word powerful, safe? That's That's what we all desire, right? To be safe? I mean, think about it. How many of us would enjoy life if we felt like we weren't safe? Right? We don't have a place we just could call home. But you see now, going back to Hebrews, right? So that, that description of how they never entered my rest, it's describing that very people who are looking for that home, who are looking for that place, who God had promised it to them, but because of their unbelief, failed to enter into that rest. But he says something very interesting at the end of verse 3. He says, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. And then he quotes Genesis 2.2. You see what he's saying, though, is that, all right, if you think that the rest of God and the promise of that rest was that promised land across the Jordan, that Canaan land, you're forgetting something. God had already entered into rest from the foundation of the world, from the very beginning. Furthermore, all right, He goes to verse 5, and again in this passage, he said, They shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You know what? What he's saying there is, look, look at Psalm 95. When was Psalm 95 written? Who wrote Psalm 95? It was King David. And when did he write it? Many, many years after Moses and Joshua and the failure of the Israelites. And yet, what does David say in Psalm 95? He says, today. And he speaks to the Israelites today. And he says, don't harden your hearts. And the author of Hebrews is saying, see, See, if David could say that to the Israelites and if David could say that to the people of God many years after that promised land, we're not talking about Canaan. 
We must be talking about something else. So what is that something else? Verse 8, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There remains this Sabbath rest for, for you and I. This Sabbath rest is an important description. I want you guys to think about something. Right? You know, I, I told you what, what my concept of rest is, right? That cup of coffee in the morning, newspaper. You know, as a kid, I grew up looking at baseball box scores. I, I used to love that. You may not know what that is, but you know, everyone looks at everything online on your phone now. But back in the day, there was no way to know what happened the day before unless you were at the game. You had to wait for the newspaper the next day. That's how I found out what would happen in New York or Boston, right? When I'm in that moment, I don't want my enemies to call me or to come visit me. I don't want people who annoy me, who don't listen to me, to be there with me. I want to be by myself. I'm not speaking about you guys. I just, you know. But think about God. He's in his rest. He's in his rest. Verse 5 describes it as my rest. It's a rest that he himself enjoys. It's not just talking about a rest that he gives to us. Like, here was my apple, now it's your apple. He's talking about the rest that he has been involved in, enjoying for since creation of the world. And he invites us and promises us that very same rest. His rest includes us. So different from how we would rest. He didn't invite us after we had become perfect, after we had declared ourselves to be his children. He invited us while we were still his enemies and objects of his wrath. And therein he already saw that he loved us as his children, even when we were sinners. His rest, he says, all right, come into my rest. I don't know about you guys, but man, that, that tells me God must really love us. There are very few people I would invite into my time of rest. God, he invites all of us. Amen? That was awesome, no? And then that, that rest that we're invited into is described as a Sabbath rest. It's not, it's not where we're just going to sit around and do nothing for all of eternity. Remember what we said his rest was when he rested on the seventh day? His rest, verse 10 says, is the basis for us understanding what our rest is going to be like. Whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. God resting from his works is being the king, receiving worship, receiving his glory and honor. Us entering into that rest is going to be us giving him his glory, giving him his honor, worshiping him. And uh, Peter O'Brien, in his commentary, he describes that Sabbath rest as this really festive, amazing celebration and party. It's not going to be a funeral. It's not going to be solemn. It's going to be full of joy and worship and praise. And that's what he invites us to partake in, that celebration. And you know, well, I, I, you know, I remember when I, uh, my daughter was 
was young, I had to stay home, or I not had to, I chose, you know, my wife and I chose that I would stay home uh, Monday through Friday in the mornings and early afternoons. She, would, she was working part-time. She would come home as soon as she was done. At least I think it was as soon as she was done. And, uh, you know, and, you know when, when my daughter cried, I just kind of had a, like a, I was very bad at intuition, so I would just go automatically in order. And the first thing on my list was diapers. Are her diapers wet? Are her diapers soiled? If that wasn't it, she's still crying, then I would check, is she hungry? And I would try to feed her. If that wasn't it, then, you know, I thought maybe she's tired, and I would try to, if that wasn't it, then I would be like, okay, she's sick. Something's wrong, right? And I just kind of had a four sort of order of things, and that's how I went about it. But, you know, I, I never... You know, what I discovered very early is that sometimes she was just, she would cry and I couldn't reason with her. I had no ability to explain to her, hey, you're so tired. All you got to do is stop crying. You stop crying. You're going to fall asleep. You'll be happy. We're done. Break for you. Break for me. But what worked often, almost every single time, so if I just carried her and held her, and rocked her a little bit. There was this, I don't know, comfort to that or reassurance in there. I'm not sure what happened, but usually, stop crying. No more tears. Rest for her and rest for me. The reason why I share that is, you know, I think sometimes maybe that's the picture of the rest that God wants us to enter into. And that rest you know what, it's not about knowing exactly what the streets in heaven are going to look like or what our lives, our daily schedule is going to be look, looking like, what we're going to do, what we're going to dress like, who we're going to know, what we're going to see, what we're going to talk about, are we going to recognize our wife? There's all these questions we have about the kingdom of heaven, but you know what, we've forgotten that really it's about entering into the embrace, the comfort, the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when we enter into that presence and that embrace, we will stop crying. In fact, Scripture tells us that that rest will be a place of no more pain and no more tears. It will be our Sabbath rest. That will put an end to all of the restlessness, the busyness, the stress, the anxiety. It will put to rest all of the things that keep us up at night. It's eternal. And, you know, there, there's language, though, there in this passage that's a little scary. Right? In verse 1, he says, Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. There seems to be a warning at the beginning and at the end of this passage. You know, right before chapter 4, the author of Hebrews gives us a really negative example. Right? Verses 16 to 19, he describes what happens to his people way back then when they failed to enter into the promised land and receive the rest. Who, who were those who heard and yet rebelled? 
Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? All right, so clearly, just in case we're not sure who he's talking about, it's there in verse 16. And then in verse 17, and yet, with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? To whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see they were unable to enter because of what? Unbelief. So the negative example is the people who were the closest to God at that time, they had witnessed his miracles, they had seen his power, they had heard his promise, and yet they're in the wilderness. And what happened? What happened? How come they never made it across the Jordan? Why was it 40 years of provoking and testing and trying and disobeying God? Well, here's, here's what happened. They, they received the promise of the promised land, and they think, great, let's go there. God is saving us. And they go on this journey, and this journey proves to be difficult. I don't know what their expectations were, but... Clearly, it was different from the reality of what faced them. And so when they faced the hardships, when they faced the difficulties, when they faced the trials, and when they faced the temptations, you know what they did? They said, why did you bring us out here into the desert? At least when we were in Egypt, we had food. At least we were safe. And they look back with longing eyes on the slavery and the bondage. And they look back on the time when they were not a people with a home, with a promise. And they said, that's the rest I want. Instead of striving, pursuing, enduring the wilderness so that they could get to the rest that God had promised them. And you see, the author of Hebrews is saying to us, there is maybe for us the same temptation and the same danger. Of course, we all want eternal rest in the kingdom of heaven, and we all want that which God promises to us. But what happens when things get hard? What happens when things get difficult? What happens when trials and temptations come into our lives? And what happens when we struggle to feel like God is with us or for us? It's far too easy for us to look back and to say maybe we can figure out how to rest or we can figure out what we need or we can figure out and this world can give it to us. This place or Satan or the devil, all these things that are designed to hold us in bondage, maybe we could find our rest in those things. The temptation is to lose our way. Right? To be distracted, to be people who are maybe described as people of unbelief and disobedience. My brothers and sisters, if that is you, and if by any chance that describes your temptations today, my encouragement and exhortation is the same as what we see in Hebrews 4, 1 to 11. Strive, strive to enter that rest. That rest has already been given to us. It has already been won for us. It has already been obtained for us. 
just need to trust in that which has already been given. Amen? To stop thinking that somehow our hearts will find rest outside of Christ. To stop thinking that there is an answer for our restlessness or our busyness or our stressfulness or our, all of our anxieties. Somehow outside of Christ we could find it. Remove that temptation from your hearts and from your minds and strive for the much better rest that he wants to just share with us for all of eternity. Could have enjoyed it all by himself. A cup of coffee for all of eternity. Never had a soul bother him. Probably would have enjoyed it a lot. Instead, he wants us there. He foods us. Let's strive for that. Let's pray for that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Hebrews 4, and we thank you for the reminder of your promise of rest. We pray that you would help us to really pursue it, to seek it, to strive for it, to not get distracted, to not lose our ways. And if we do, Lord, that you would be the one to help us to come back to regather us as your church, and as a body, Lord, that you would bring us into the kingdom of heaven for all of eternity, Lord. This is our prayer request to you, and we ask for your help. We ask for your Holy Spirit. We make this prayer trusting in you, and in Jesus' name we pray.